Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Interview with a Survivor, our hosts, Lucky and Tim, will be discussing near misses, problem projects, and resolutions. In today's episode, Getting Sued, an Engineer's Tale, Billy Camp discusses his experiences in litigation for an impending failure of a sheet pile wall at the North Charleston Port. Proudly brought to you by our series sponsor, Peer Research, and today's episode sponsor, Burkle. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Lucky Nagarajan, and my co-host is Tim Siegel. Hi, Tim. Hi, Lucky. Great to have you here. It's great to be here. Our new series is Interview with a Survivor where our guests share their ups and downs on their projects that went wrong. Our guest today is Billy Camp. Billy completed bachelor's in civil engineering at University of Virginia and master's in geotechnical engineering from University of Texas at Austin. Go Longhorns! (laughs) Since 1988, Billy has worked as a geotechnical engineer in S&ME Charleston, South Carolina office. He's a registered professional engineer in South Carolina and Virginia, and a recognized practice leader on soft ground, deep foundations and seismic design issues in the Southeast. Billy always says, Charleston is a great place for geotechs. It has many challenges, earthquake, soft ground, and liquefaction to design with. At SNME, Billy serves as an internal consultant to geotechnical staff and provides technical oversight on projects across the US and Latin America market. Billy has been contributing to the betterment of the industry as well. He serves on the Geo Institute Deep Foundations Committee, PDCA Technical Committee, DFI Ground Improvement Committee, and ASE Standards Committee on Seismic Design of Peers and Wharfs. Billy also has authored 34 peer-reviewed technical papers and is a frequent speaker at GI, PDCA, DFI, and ADSC events. He is a past president of Geo Institute and a board certified in the Academy of Geoprofessionals. To tell you the truth, Billy has not missed a single Geo Geo Congress conference except the last year. (laughs) Kudos to Billy. Billy has been inducted to University of Texas at Austin's Academy of Distinguished Alumni in the Department of Civil Architectural and Environmental Engineering. This is a very rare honor and awarded to fewer than 150 in a community of 10,000 living alumni. Hearty congratulations, Billy. Welcome and thank you so much for your willingness to be on our podcast. Well, well, thank you for having me, Lucky. I'm very pleased to be here. And thank you for that very nice introduction. Billy, that was awesome. Um, so just for our audience, uh, Billy and I go back um, to the early 1990s. Billy is still with SNME, but I was with SNME up in no- uh, Knoxville and in eastern Tennessee. And we worked together with, S- uh, with SNME. But I do know from some of my times uh, uh, with Billy working on projects that he grew up in rural Virginia, and you met your wife, Billy, in high school. 
but I think our audience would like to know more about the camps in general. Could you share with us um, a little of your history? Sure, Tim. Um, yes, that, your memory's correct. Uh, my wife, Cammie, and I are both from the same small town in Virginia, Franklin, Virginia, about an hour away from Virginia Beach. And um, we, we went to different high schools, but we had common friends, and uh, we ended up both going to UVA and living in the same dorm our first year. And uh, yeah, we, we dated all through um, all four years at Virginia. Uh, we each took a year apart after graduation. I went to grad school, and she went to work in a, a small town in Georgia. But um, yeah, we ended up getting married that year, and um, after one year of grad school, and she, uh, she came to Austin with me for my last year and, um, which those two years was, was, were fantastic. It's a good, good experience in Austin back then. And you've got three sons. I do. I've got, um, three, three boys all grown and, um, out of the house and, um, working and doing their own thing. So we're empty nesters. Very cool. Well, I, you know, I, I want to set this up. This is a little bit of a weird question, but we're, you know, the whole title of this uh, series is talking about going through the ups and downs of, of a challenging project. And uh, I, I know for me, um, when I come home from work, my wife, I share with her my frustrations from work and she'll share hers. Um, as we start looking at uh, this project in general uh, that you went through, is it fair to say that Cammy went through it with you? Absolutely. Yeah, she's uh, all right. Like, like like all of my challenges at work, she has lived through all of them. Um, okay. She's she's not an engineer, but she uh, guarantees she knows more about engineering than uh, the average person. After thirty some years of living with me. All right. So she. So if you bring up the name of this project, it, it, it means something to her. Yes. Um, she, she actually uh, attended a lot of the trial. So it was a two week trial and she was there most days. So she, wow. she knows it well. Well, so I'm not alone in that. I imagine that's true a lot about um, uh, engineers and their significant others. It affects other people besides just the uh, professional that's going through it. That's that's very true, Tim and Billy. I think it's the same in our house too. <laughs> I come back to tell my husband all the exciting things I'm doing and you know the projects I'm working on, the challenges, and he does the same thing for me. <laughs> so he's not in our industry, but still, it's it's so much uh, cooler if you can share. Yeah. Well, I with with that, I'm going to transition a little bit. So. Um, Billy, we're going to move into this, into the subject of today's talk. Um, and so I'd like to start off with uh, asking you to give a little bit of background. Um, uh, what, and, and from my side of it, I ask you to be part of our program uh, because of an impending failure and a subsequent remediation of a sheet pile wall in South Carolina, the South Carolina port project. Um, as we just alluded to, there were lawsuits that were filed <clears throat> and uh, they were, they extend over a period of time of about three years and the trial itself took two weeks. Um, 
it w- would be fair to say that you went through the uh, proverbial gauntlet uh, from uh, start of this project through the end of the trial. So maybe I, I, for our listeners, could you give us a, a, a thumbnail sketch of the project itself? Sure, sure. Um, so I, I guess the, the project was a, was a major port development, a brand new container terminal being built on the Cooper River here in Charleston. Um, a portion of the project involved a big land reclamation. Um, I can't remember how big it was, 40 or 60 acres or something. And to um, construct the land reclamation, there needed to be a fill containment system built first. So the, um, so all of the fill could be placed inside of it. And uh, very soft ground conditions, uh, which is true of most of Charleston. And um, so it was, it was a, a challenging structure to build for the fill containment system. And it ended up consisting of, uh, well, the design concept that was initially constructed consisted of a cantilever sheet pile wall, really heavy section. I can't remember what size, but it was a massive sheet uh, with a uh, rock buttress or rock berm on the passive side of it to um, help with stabilization of it. And during the construction of that rock berm, so the, the cantilever sheet was installed and they were placing the rock berm on the passive side or the outside of the, the fill containment system, there was a, a bearing capacity failure of a portion of the rock berm. And that led to a back analysis, which led to a revised shear strength, which led to a reanalysis of the cantilever sheet pile wall and the function that it was going to serve. And, and, and ultimately, um, we concluded that the system wasn't going to work. And everything came to a halt at that point. And that was in about 2014. And our work on the project started in 2003. So more than a decade of work. And then, well, 2013, 2014 was the end of our, end of our paid involvement on the project. Wow. That's, uh, that's quite a, a background. Let me let me ask you. So, uh, everyone will want to know after that story. How did it go over with the owner of the project? <laughs> well, the owner was not pleased. Um, no, nobody nobody likes to be told, right, that you know you've you've uh, spent millions of dollars to construct something, and 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 now an engineer is telling them it's going to cost millions of dollars more to make it work. So it's a, it's a difficult message to deliver. And um, yeah, it was, it was um, for, for, for other things and maybe we'll touch on those. Um, the, the, the owner, the whole relationship with the owner became much more complicated even before this problem had occurred. I, I got to ask you, uh, were, were, were you, were you there when that news was, uh, was it, was it face to face or was it a, how did, how did you, How'd you tell the owner that? Uh, it, it, well, uh, the initial course, so, so our client was not the owner. Our client was the design engineer. Okay. And so our communication was always through the design engineer. And, and so I, we had lots of phone calls with them and, and meetings with them going, getting to this point of concluding that something's got to be done. 
and uh, ultimately documented all that in a, in a memorandum that made its way to the owner. I just maybe thought that that they would your client might after hearing the news want you to be the one that brings it to them, but it's that I guess fortunate that they that they're the ones that took it on. That'd be a tough meeting to have. Well, that was a, a lot of tough meetings on this project after that point. Such a, such a difficult situation, Billy, for an engineer who's been involved on this project for so long, and suddenly something like this happens. I would like to know, you know, put us in your shoes when you first realized what was the scope of the problem, right? Like the, the whole problem, what was the scope? Put us in your shoes and let us know. Well, I, that's um, it's an interesting question, Lucky, and, I, and I, let me talk about it for a minute here. So we weren't the designer of the structure. Um, we had developed the properties and parameters that the designer used. And so when that bearing capacity failure occurred and that allowed us to do a back analysis and, and, and get a really good number on the shear strength of this soft material, um, and it was less than what we had given the designer to use. And so immediately as the, you know, as the geotechnical engineer that was responsible developing the parameters, and, and I'm not saying that was me personally, that's s and um, you, you feel like, uh-oh, our number's wrong. So that's a, that's a bad feeling when you like, and we have proof that our number's wrong, right? We've got a bearing capacity failure and we know that the strength is, is, is this and it's, it's less than what we thought it was. Um, so that's kind of a sinking feeling right there. But after that happened, we started doing some additional analyses that we hadn't been asked to do before. Um, and that is to reevaluate re the, the, how this wall is gonna function. And, and, and I did do all of that myself, and I'm not a wall designer. I'm not a geostructural engineer. It's never been part of my practice. Um, but, but using simplified methods that seemed appropriate to me, it seemed pretty obvious to me that the system wasn't going to work. But not having that background, I was, uh, you know, it's a multi-million dollar decision to say it's not going to work. And, and I'm not, I'm not a geostructural engineer. I don't really have the experience to make that decision. So, you know, I was certainly sharing this all with the designer and the designer was very skeptical of our results. Um, they thought that it was a conservative approach to how they designed it. And they were finding it hard to believe that I was saying this isn't going to work. So ultimately we, we reached out to Atasca and, and got, you know, the, their, flak experts to model the whole system and their numerical analysis corroborated my very simplified limit equilibrium limit equilibrium approach and and that definitely got the original designer on board and they agreed yes this is a problem something's got to be done so it's kind of a slow motion um, well, I say slow motion. This all happened over a period of a couple of weeks, right? Because you've got a contractor on standby. So it's, um, it's not an immediate, an immediate answer, but it, 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 it happened over a period of weeks. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. It sounds like it, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, like you were all fine. <laughs> and suddenly you come up with this, uh, uh, you know, problem that you have to explain to the owner, 
And this is not something happens on every project. And, you know, very few people um, live this. Um, and, you know, when an engineer has to um, deliver this news to the owner, uh, what words would you have for the engineer? When do you think the engineer should say something? And what should the engineer say? Well, you know, it's not unique to this problem. It's not unique to this project at all. And, and, and it's, it's never hide bad news. It only gets worse with time. So you, you've got to be open and frank with your client, with the, with the owner, anybody that the news affects, you got to tell them as soon as you know it, because it, it never gets better with time. Billy, I got to, I got to ask you, um, did you ever feel either yourself or even the mood of the design team to try to, uh, and I know, I mean, I can tell you, I've had that temptation where I've made, uh, whether it's a mistake or, or, or come to find out that something that I thought was wrong, that I wanted to kind of minimize it. Was there any sort of, did you ever feel that mood or within yourself or, or the team around you? I, I don't think so, Tim, not in this case. Um, it was, it was not, and I, I understand what you're asking, but this case was, I think it was such a big problem. Nobody felt like there was any way to minimize it. It was, this is an issue that's got to be fixed and it's, and there's no way around it, but the fix is going to be costly. I think that's uh, tremendous. I mean, kudos to you all for, for facing it squarely. And, and, you know, we realize as engineers, we're humans. Uh, we we're not, always perfect and when we run into a problem we have to face it square on uh, yeah i think congratulations to you all for sure well i don't know that it really helped us right because we ended up facing a 40 million dollar lawsuit but and I, maybe it would have been worse if we had drug our feet and tried to avoid it or you know just put our head in the sand and tried to ignore it but don't you think i mean i don't know i I tend to think that I would rather sleep soundly and face the lawsuit than to wrestle with with poor sleep. You're yeah. able to go home at night and sleep well. Well, I don't know if that's the case, but <laughs> be better no, than a, I would have. Yeah, it's a tough decision to make. It's a tough decision to make, and uh, it is what it is. As as you said, Billy, like you can't put it off right? You can't put it off and you have to bring it to light and you have to find a solution for it. Before we continue, Morgan Neesmith, Berkel's Director of Engineering, will be joining us with a question for Billy. Um, thank you, uh, Berkel and company contractors for being today's um, episode sponsor. Um, let's uh, find out a little bit about Burkle and Company. Uh, founded in 1959, Burkle is a full-service design-build geotechnical contractor providing deep foundation, ground improvement, earth retention, and underpinning services throughout North America and the Caribbean through its corporate offices in Kansas City and regional offices across the U.S. Their continued success is rooted in its people who strive each and every day to make Burkle the best at what it does. A little bit about Morgan. 
Morgan, who is a very famous person in our deep foundation industry, has over 20 years of experience in geotechnical contracting and site characterization. Morgan has diverse experience on numerous projects for remote and offshore facilities in Europe, Middle East, Western Africa, and Asia. Since 2004, he has specialized in the construction of deep foundations and ground improvement systems for Berkel. He's authored numerous papers on these topics and speaks regularly about them. He currently serves on the DFI Board of Trustees as a liaison to the ACIP and DDPI committee, of which he's the immediate past chair. Well, thank you. I, I couldn't have asked for a better introduction, but it's really, it's nice to be here with Billy, uh, someone who I, I've admired throughout my career and had an opportunity to work with. Um, and Billy, I was, I was wondering, uh, throughout my career, one of the interesting parts of deep foundation design in particular has been working in intermediate geomaterials when I've often found uh, a lack of available information. Uh, they're just not as well known or, or uh, have been well investigated like uh, rocks or uh, soils have been. And, and in Charleston locally, you happen to be in an area with one of the most interesting geomaterials that I've come across, the Cooper Marl. Um, and we often see a stiffer or stronger foundation response there, with deep foundations in the Cooper Marl than we might expect from typical test results. And I was hoping you might talk through some of the challenges that the Cooper Marl presents in terms of both site characterization and then foundation performance and risk. Sure, Morgan, that's, um, I didn't see that question coming. <laughs> it's a good one, it's a good one. It's a, the, the Cooper Marl is a, is a fantastic material. It's one of the things that, that keeps me sane in Charleston, keeps, keeps me working here. Um, it's a great foundation material. Um, it, it, driven piles, um, work wonderfully in it. Uh, you get a tremendous amount of setup, so you can use a small hammer to install a pile with a large capacity. Um, it can also create problems. Uh, larger displacement piles generate enormous pore pressures when you try to drive them into it. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's where the board piles become more effective when you need larger lateral loads and, and larger um, elements. Um, and it still can, produce some surprises, even for, for, for the folks here that have spent their whole career working in it. Um, it there's a lot of it that we just still don't understand. Uh, one thing it does that, uh, speaking very, um, I guess, provincially, uh, people that aren't used to it uh, will come in and design foundations that are ultra conservative. And I think that's what you were alluding to in your question, because on paper, it looks like a, a I shouldn't say a poor foundation material, but it, it's, it's, it, you would expect to get much less capacity out of it than you actually do. And so frequently we see um, consultants that aren't familiar with it will come in and come up with some really long foundation lengths. And uh, that's, that's a nice opportunity for the local consultants to, to get in and do a little value engineering. Well, I appreciate that, Billy, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Thanks very much to Morgan and Burkle, and now for the conclusion of today's episode. Billy, because this project became a lawsuit and it eventually went to court, right? And you were deposed by the plaintiff's attorney. Tell us, how was it like? What was it like, you know, <laughs> getting sued and being being there? Um. 
lucky every part of the process is is very unpleasant. It's miserable. It's a miserable process. Um, and I'm very grateful for the expert witnesses that that helped us defend our our case. But I I just can't imagine doing that on a regular basis. Just the whole legal process is just so it's so different from the way engineering consulting works. You know, we, we, we're, we're, we're focused on um, examining all the data and making sense out of it. And the legal process is all about ignoring any data that you don't like and focusing on what makes your case. And so the whole process of being deposed, it, it's well, another frustration is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's rare to, that the attorneys have engineering backgrounds. Some of them do. Um, but very few of them have geotechnical knowledge. And so they're trying to ask you questions about highly technical matters, um, often presented in, in questions that don't make any sense. And, and, and so you're, you're, you're trying to answer the question, but it, you, half the time you don't know exactly what they're after. And it's just many, many frustrations about the whole process. Um, and this particular project, I mentioned that it was, um, we worked on it for over 10 years. So you can imagine how, how big our file is, was. It's an enormous amount of material. And so I spent days being deposed um, and then multiple days on the witness stand. And it's, it's just a, it's a painful experience. But definitely, definitely. You know, um, and when you're living this, uh, you know, when you're living this and then going through this every day and day and answering all the questions, I'm sure it's it's very difficult to keep the professional side on the professional side and personal side on the personal side, right? Um, in, in this situation, was there any time when the line was crossed from professional to personal? Well, in, in this, yes. Um, you know, it's hard enough as an engineer to be um, being accused of being wrong, of being negligent, of making a mistake. Um, but in, in this case, um, and we don't need to get into all the details, but uh, the plaintiff's attorney at, at multiple stages was basically accusing me of, of, lie, of lying, of fraud, of, of, of trying to hide information. And um, that's really that's really difficult to deal with. You know, it's, it's one thing to be accused of making a mistake, but, you know, to be accused of being dishonest or unethical or that, that, that hurts. Um, explain that a little bit more, Billy. How so? How was it, you know, when you're thinking about uh, all this was happening and they were accusing, because we always, as engineers, we think about always honesty is the best policy, right? Honesty is the best policy. And we always want to be honest and have the trust in what we do. Yeah, and it's 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 um I guess it's kind of understandable from a plaintiff's attorney standpoint because there is a lot of you know, there's a lot of bad things happen in business. You know, there's a there's a, a lot of, of bad stuff that goes on that's that is fraud. Um, and, and, you know, some of that is in the engineering world. I, I think 
certainly less in the engineering world than it is in some other fields, but you know, it wouldn't be the, the first time that an engineer tried to falsify something um, if that was the case on this project. So I guess the plaintiff's attorney trying to, to, to go that way, I can understand it. But um, when, it's, when it's a personal attack like that on something that you just, that, that, that was never even close to being an issue, um, it was, it was really like trying to fabricate something out of nothing. And, you know, you don't, the, the, that's another frustration of the legal environment is you don't really get to say your, your piece ever. It's, it's always you answer questions that attorney A ask you, and then you answer questions that attorney B ask you, and you, you never just have an opportunity to explain why this is all crazy. I mean, you, you kind of do, but it, it's, it's done in a disjointed manner and it's just, it's um it puts you in a bad situation and it's um it, it's it's just very stressful definitely it can be really stressful um and uh, sleepless nights sleepless nights um let me shift our discussion a little you know we don't really have to get into technical jargon but you know uh there's a lot of human emotions and human aspect that that is involved or was involved right uh, when I when I say a human aspect, I'm talking about more like relationships that you have built for so many years, and also you know relationships, personal relationships, and human relationships, you know, around the project, um, communication, right, and human limitations. What can we do? What can't we do? Etc. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Share share us what it meant in terms of human aspects that was involved. Well, I can, I can address that in a couple of ways. Um, so I mentioned this was an 11 year long project multiple times now. Um, before that, we had 10 plus years of experience working for this owner. And we knew their engineering staff and, you know, we had close professional relationships with their engineering staff. You know, we, we would see them socially and, they were, they were good. It was a good relationship. It was an, it was an excellent um, client owner relationship. Well, during the course of this project that the, the, the new leadership came into the port and they took everything in a different direction and they ended up outsourcing their engineering group. And so all of that relationship went away. Um, all these people we knew retired or went to work for other companies. Um, and so it was a whole new group and they were consultants, they weren't owners, engineers. And the, 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 the communication changed. Um, the, the whole way the project function began to change as that, that um, organizational change occurred on the owner side. And that was, uh, that was one of the, I think that was one of the problems. Um, you know, and then one of the outcomes of this whole scenario was, you know, a, a client that we spent decades working for, I, I suppose we'll never work for them again. You know, we, we're just, uh, we're forever tainted. And, um, and it's unfortunate because it's, um, we did some great projects with them. And um, I think we did great work for them, but I don't think we'll have that opportunity to do it again. So it's mm -hmm. sad to see a long-term relationship like that just completely end on such bad terms. 
Billy, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you know, I'm listening to all this and, you know, one thing that just keeps coming up in my mind is that there was no class in school to prepare you for this. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you, you'll do that. You're doing this because hopefully some of the young engineers uh, that are listening are, are learning about an aspect of our profession uh, that they may sit in your seat at some point, having gone through this. So, so Tim, it's interesting that you say that it's not something you learn in school. Uh, and I agree with you. Um, but an assigned book at University of Virginia when I was there was, uh, it was um, uh, six essays by a geotechnical engineer based in San Francisco. I think his name was Richard Meehan. His last name was definitely Meehan. The name of the book was Getting Sued and Other Tales of Engineering Life. And the, and the last essay in that book is about him being sued. Um, and this was in 1969, and he did, his company had no professional liability insurance. And, you know, so it's all coming out of his pocket, and he's being deposed. And so I read that again after this whole trial went through. I should have read it more closely in, uh, in undergrad, <laughs> but... Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a bookworm. I've got the book on my shelf. I read it and I, I thought it was a good, I, I love the title. Uh, and I'm also a big fan of Henry Petrosky and some of the other books that talk about um, the role of, of failure and engineering life, but, um, and, and problems, but, uh, um, you know, for, for folks, you know, and I'm interested in this, but for folks that are listening, give us a taste. How did, how did, um, as you're going through this, as you're going through the analysis that you went through the pre-trial, did, did your normal life, did it seem to shift? I mean, did your, did the center of your life a little bit shift during that process of going through the problem pre-trial trial? Uh, it's, so, you know, identifying the problem and working through the, the, the we, we, we came up with a remediation solution that was ultimately not adopted. But um, that part was not that much different than, you know, any other technical challenge that I've dealt with. Uh, once the uh, once we started preparing for the trial. Well, even before that, we went through a couple of mediations. And yeah, it just takes over your life. It's just, you know, for one thing, you've got a court schedule that dictates your life, um, which is just difficult to deal with sometimes. But just you, you, you can't do any other work. It's just you just got to drop everything and 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 get prepared for this mediation or for this deposition or and, and you know, I was I was tasked with assisting our attorney. Um, who did a wonderful job, but she needed my assistance every time she talked to somebody because, you know, to, to understand how things related to the case and our defense. And so, yeah, it just consumed me for a couple of years. A couple of years. Wow. Okay. Was there, so in, in talking of, you know, I'm hearing that it did get personal at points. There were, you know, yeah, you know, I'm thinking here's an, a, an opposing attorney that's an expert in rhetoric and he knows that he needs to probably be um, delve into those personal things uh, to try to stir up 
you know, the his case. Um, was there ever a moment leading up to trial or during the trial where you felt like normal life would never come back? That that you'd never, you know, you'd never be back to the same comfort level that you were prior to this. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it was. It, it, it was a bad experience for me, but it was still, it was just, it was just a trial. You know, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my health. It's bad for my health maybe, but it wasn't, you know, it's not like, uh, it, it's not like I'm having, I'm, I'm fighting cancer or, you know, it's not life or death. It's, it's um, in the end, it's just a trial. That's good to hear. Thank you, Billy. Thank you very much for sharing the story. And uh, as Tim said a few minutes ago, we don't learn this in school. Right. Um, we hardly know what it means to get sued um, and what it means to get through this. You said uh, just a couple of years, nothing mattered, but it did matter. Right. Like a couple of years was a long, long couple of years. Um, thank you for sharing, um, you know, the project, how uh, the project one thing led to the other and and importance of accepting what is happening is not right. The design, what what we did or how it was designed was not right. And, you know, um, going through um, explaining this to the client, to the owner, and looking for a solution, you know, looking for a solution. And, and the whole two years, what you learned, lessons learned when you come out of this is such an important part of young engineers' lives. And, and you know, um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, uh we're really fortunate that we could get some advice on if this happens to someone else, like what are the steps we need to take? Well, yeah, I'm, 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 it's, it's nice to talk about it now. It's a couple of years since the, the verdict was announced and which was a very happy day. Um, but yeah, it's looking back on it is, is good now, I think. It definitely makes me in my everyday practice now, I think about how things are going to be interpreted and how they can be misinterpreted and what should and shouldn't be presented in a, in a report and what's in that file. And it makes you think about every single little detail because there's nothing that's not open to, to critique in a, in a deposition environment and then the trial. Well, well Billy, uh, uh, let me, let me explain ask that you expand a little bit on that. So um, I think the, I can certainly speak for Lucky and probably for most of our audience that we never want to go through what you went through. Um, and fortunately, probably many of us won't, um, but some of us will. Um, when we think about going through struggles and if we look at it, kind of on a philosophical bent, uh, there's this reality uh, where people say, you know, I went through this difficult time and it made me a better something, fill in the blank. And I, I'm going to ask you to, to fill in that blank. You know, going through this ordeal made Billy Camp a better blank. What, what, would, you, what would you put there? Tim, I want to say a, a, a more risk-averse engineer, which, which maybe that makes me a better engineer. Um, 
okay. I shouldn't say a more conservative engineer, but I definitely, I definitely think about things differently. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more careful to, you know, scope is everything to me now because part of this case was, you know, we, we were not the designers, but they, the plaintiff's attorney was trying very hard to say we had some design responsibility. And um, so I'm, I'm very attuned to what our scope says we're going to do. So we don't exceed our, our scope because that can get you into to trouble very quickly. It's maybe so, more detailed than you had in mind, but. So you would, you, if I can put words in your mouth, you'd say you, you're a better risk manager. Is that, yeah. a and I don't, and I'm, I mean, I don't want to under, I think, I think that's key in our industry is to. That's a much better way of putting it. Yes. Okay. It definitely made me a better risk manager. Excellent. Uh, Billy, I, I want to say, um, you know, you have been, uh, I've always seen you and I know you have always been a leader in our industry. Um, certainly working in Charleston and leading, uh, expert in, uh, Cooper Marl, uh, leading in terms of piles and, uh, and their application with the PDA in that region and, and beyond, um, and, and serving in like the president of the Geo Institute. That's, and, and I think part of an aspect of being a great leader is being, um, uh, transparent. And I really appreciate you, uh, uh being tra so transparent in this interview and sharing with us. Cause I think it, we're, we're often as engineers, we're often, uh, I will say, including myself, very quick to shout from the rooftops, my great ideas uh, and where things have worked out, even, even where I may have made, uh, had problems, but they still worked out okay. But you've, we oftentimes don't come on and, and talk about how things worked out more difficult and it took us a longer time to uh to have a satisfactory ending and i we, we really hadn't talked about this the the ending was that at the end of the day uh billy camp and s and amy prevailed well we, we the jury found in our favor found we were not liable but and it's you one you one can interpret that as we won but we didn't win. Uh, I mean, we, we spent a ton of money to to defend ourselves, and we lost a, a, a client that um, we had decades of experience with. And so, yeah, it was a it was as good of outcome as I guess we could have hoped for, but it was still a bad outcome. Well put. Thanks, Billy. And then maybe people might be interested to know the fix was a relieving platform. And and, and 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 I'm sure Morgan would be pleased to hear that it was a CFA pile supported re or leaving platform. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Excellent, Billy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Billy. Well, you're 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 both very welcome, and uh, thanks for thanks for ha for having me on.
On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Proudly brought to you by our series sponsor, Peer Research, and today's episode sponsor, Burkle. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.